Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. Before I introduce my guest on this episode, I want to tell you about a chance for you to come and watch me record an episode of Not Another Mummy podcast. On Friday the 18th of October, I'll be recording an episode about parenthood and alcohol with guests Rosamond Dean, who's the author of the book Mindful Drinking and also the deputy editor of Grazia magazine, and Clemmie Telford, mum of three, who recently decided to stop drinking alcohol. It's all happening at Redemption, a really cool alcohol-free bar in London's Covent Garden. And it kicks off at 9am, but you can get there after the school run because the actual recording won't start until 945 So come, a link to buy tickets is in the show notes. So on to this episode. My guest is the brilliant Remy Sade, who's a single mum to her daughter. Remy became pregnant when she was 22 and in the first year of university, and she left uni to raise her little one. Remy's a writer and she's the co-host of the podcast All Right for a Mum, which offers conversations about what being a single mum is really like in 2019. Remy's keen to talk about her experiences and to shatter the stereotype that single mums are often labelled with. As you'll hear, she's driven, she's super intelligent, she's hardworking and she's a brilliant mum. We chat about her journey from the moment that she knew that she was going to be a single mum and how scared she felt to the incredible support that she's had from friends and family and how she makes things work now, balancing being a mum and working. She's also got some great advice for anyone listening who's at the start of their single parent journey. Welcome Remy to the podcast. Thank you. We've just basically had a half hour conversation that could have been a whole podcast in itself, <laughs> yeah. haven't we? Uh, which was really, really brilliant. Um, but let's do it for real. Um, so you're a single mum, yeah. but you seem keen not to be seen as a voice for single mums. Why is that? <laughs> really? Yeah. That's the impression um, I get from you. No, I, do you know what? I don't, I don't want to be a voice for anyone. I want my voice to be my experience of... So I also talk quite a lot about my self-esteem when it comes to my body. And I always say I'm not a bopo babe. Doesn't mean that I don't agree with body positivity and I don't think that it's an incredible movement and it does some really important things. But 
this is just my experience being size 18 that's really interesting because most people i would say it's fair to say seem keen to attach themselves with a movement or an identity so that's quite interesting that you seem quite keen just to be doing your thing on your own well that's because i think i am my identity like I, i wrote a piece called elephants uh about 18 months two years ago and it was specifically about my experiences being quote unquote a box like a stereotype so like you know I'm black I have dyslexia I was a young unmarried parent at the time and there was like all of these different things and I mean I've added like a few other labels to that now um but essentially I'm also all of these other things that they don't allow you to put in boxes like I don't know your level of understanding on certain topics or your feelings about certain things there are all these other things all of these other labels that don't fit into certain boxes and those make up my identity too also I think that evolution means that we change our minds all the time yeah I really would hate to be somebody who was an advocate or a campaigner of a cause or a movement and my opinion changed but I put myself in a position of responsibility and wouldn't that be okay so because you're right we we all evolve and our opinions evolve and our feelings evolve and actually if you were an advocate for whether it's single motherhood or whether it is body positivity if you then felt differently a year down the line actually other people who are following that movement might be in the same place as you therefore that might benefit them to see that you're having those feelings too yeah I think I'm very vocal about my opinions and feelings but I just I don't want to be responsible also because like you said some people might have caught up or changed their minds too but equally some people might not have and I think that when you put yourself in a position like that you choose that path I'm not choosing that path I'm choosing my path I'm choosing to walk my path continuously and unapologetically um but that is mainly for the benefit of my kid when she grows up not for anybody else I just want her to be happy and I want her to be authentic and I think that authenticity and happiness are things that you can't kind of try at it you just have to do it yeah consistently all the time and you know whatever happens good or bad from you trying to do that is kind of where where I'm at and what I'm doing um because I think, you know, children learn by you leading from example more than anything else. So, like I said, I could change my mind and maybe one day I would want to put myself at the forefront of conversations. But no, I think that being a part of those conversations is equally as powerful. And, you know, I'm a writer and so I write to immortalise elements of myself that I wouldn't mind being left on the earth forever. And those I guess are things that I'm proud of but still even within my creative work I don't ever put myself in a position where I'm like I am the person that you should look to for advice or opinions on this but I will definitely say this is my opinion yeah this is how I feel it's it's funny though because I kind of feel like stuff has evolved um to the point where we don't we don't need people to stand up and say I am the expert on this because actually it is that shared experience yeah. that does help people so you just you saying 
this is how I feel about this, this is what I've been through, is possibly, arguably, more more helpful to people. Yeah, I mean, as much as I would say that I don't put myself at the forefront of any conversation, people still, <laughs> people still feel like if they're going to get an opinion on certain things, they might check what mine is. But then you, you say that, but then you, you, you've got a podcast about being a single exactly, mum. Exactly, yeah. So, so you are putting yourself is. out there. It's not like you Yeah, I put myself out there, but our, <laughs> part of the reason that we started our podcast is because we call ourselves like millennial single mums. Very different to the stereotypical idea of a single mum. It's very different to like the mainstream representation of a single mum. So what is and that? So, 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 so what, what, what is your view on, like, the stereotypical... I think it's all quite negative. Um, and our whole thing was we just wanted to make it realistic. That doesn't mean we wanted to make it better or worse. We just wanted to make it realistic and share our experiences of single motherhood. Um, it turns out quite a lot of people can relate, which is good. And we have a laugh while we were doing it as well. So, yeah, I'm I'm not shy about having conversations and I'm definitely not shy about sharing my opinion. But I am very careful to make sure that I don't ever put myself in a position where it's like I've bitten off more than I could chew. Yeah. Um, also, I like to form my opinions in private. They all, they all, you know, swell around in my head and then I think about it and digest it and process it. And then when I do share my opinion, it's in a more thoughtful way it's fully formed yeah well not always but most of the time I, try, <laughs> I, I say that but I'm only 25 so I know that I don't know much about life anyway um but the little bit that I do know I like to sit with it for a minute yeah yeah I think that I think that's a really good thing to do and I think actually more people should probably do that <laughs> I think I'm probably guilt, quite guilty of just like spouting stuff out in public and on the internet and then afterwards you know then thinking oh actually maybe but do you know what I think that there's different ways of doing it and I'm quite happy to say what I think have people come back to me Mm. and say actually have you thought about this and what about that and then quite often I will change my mind Mm. or I'll come around to their way of thinking and I think that's actually quite valuable as well yeah definitely and I think having conversations is super valuable um I I really enjoy hearing other people's opinions and other people's experiences because it's usually quite different from mine as well um so yeah, I'd I don't know, I don't know what I'd call myself. I wouldn't say that. I would say I'm a part of conversations, but I don't lead those conversations. Okay. Okay. So I think, yeah, I, I'm a part of some important conversations yeah. as well, which I'm very proud to be a part of. Very important. Yeah. So okay, um, let's go back and talk about your journey into single motherhood. Yeah. Um, you were at university, weren't you? Tell me yeah. about what happened. I got pregnant in my second year. I got pregnant. I had a baby. I had a lot of PND. I had AND as well, which is antenatal depression. Oh, did you? Yeah. But I, it was undiagnosed. Um, and it was, yeah, it was tough. So were you, were you in a relationship whilst you were pregnant? Yeah, and... I'd been, I'd been, I'd been with, um, my co-parent for three years before I got pregnant. Um, and then, yeah, I got postnatal depression, um, because I had a traumatic labour. Um, I spoke about it on BBC Women's Hour. The episode is still available. Um, and, yeah, so Candice Brathwaite and I did it together um, with a few other women like Mars Lord, who's a doula. She's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and it was very traumatic. I'm not even going to start that conversation, but look for the episode if you want to hear all about it. And so, yeah, basically me and my baby nearly died. That 
spun things around. Also, I was 22. Um, That's so such a I was, huge thing for anyone to go through in a moment yeah, 22. I was 22. I was at uni and I was obviously living off of my student loan as well. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was a combination of many different things. Um, but I ultimately ended up not staying at uni. So I went back when my daughter was four months old. I didn't stay at uni after I became a single mum as well because it's I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to go to uni. Yeah. Um, how, how would how would anyone make that work? I mean, yeah, it was intense. I mean, I was making it work, but I had also started writing as well. I started writing when my daughter was four months old. Was the degree you were doing, was that um, anything to do with creative Nothing. Uh, subjects? I was studying physical geography when i tell people this they're like you did what i was i was like a science kid basically i was making maps and looking at like deep time and uh the earth um and it's interesting because i have shared some opinions on the way that the climate change movement is happening and a lot of people think i don't know what i'm talking about that's so interesting (laughs) but it was my literally my educational purpose and what was your was plan like so when you were at uni did oh you i wanted to travel the world become an international teacher work for the british government abroad and like basically earned pound sterlings in england and like live somewhere where it was cheaper for me to sustain a good life but that's, that's also, a good plan yeah it was a good plan rooted in capitalism it was a good plan but i was <laughs> young enough to be selfish enough to not worry about all of the logistics of it um and then I got pregnant and that changed everything and I think part of the reason why I dropped out as well was because I was like well I, I can't be an international teacher with a baby um because her family half of her family would at least half of her family would be living in a different country yeah um and you know you can't think of things in such a what I want to do type yeah of you, way. Can't, you almost can't be selfish yeah. you've got to think about so many other things yeah exactly but also I chose that career path when I didn't think that I could be a writer and I didn't even give I didn't even hold space for the idea that that could be something that was um a possibility for me why do you think that is I think I've got realistic I think when you're a child you 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 can dream about what you want to be when you grow up that's the question that everybody asks you and then you become a teenager and in my case when I became a teenager um I got pregnant when I was 17 years old and I had an abortion and I moved out of home. Yeah. So I moved out of home just before I had the abortion because I wasn't going to have one and I did. And that changed my life. I was 17, living out of home. I went through an abortion. I obviously went through a relationship breakdown when I was quite young as well. Um, And so I had to be realistic. And what I ended up doing was just working really hard, making sure that I paid my bills on time and, and I had to be really responsible. Yeah. And then I got in a relationship somewhere along the way. I managed to kind of get a hold of my finances and all these other things. I went backpacking and had like a life epiphany as everybody does when they go backpacking <laughs> at 20 or 21. And I decided I wanted to go to university and have a life that was more than just me running restaurants. I was really young and I just blagged my way into restaurants and pubs and was like I'll be a supervisor I can do this and I wouldn't tell people my age and they would hire me for the oh, jobs really? and so I saved up enough money to go traveling came back um and then I did private a-levels 
I taught myself like two years worth of work in like two months. So had you left school before A-levels? Yeah, I was, I got pregnant when I was 17 while I was doing my A-levels. Ah. And I left, I left sixth form, I left my house, I was like working. So by the time I did do my A-levels, I didn't want to go to college and do them. I didn't, I also just didn't want to go and like be around a bunch of 16 year olds when I was like 21. Yeah. And I think I was a bit embarrassed. So I ended up doing private A-levels. And I didn't even I had know that was a thing. I didn't realise you could do that. Most people don't know that you can do them because people don't advertise it. But any place that offers A-levels essentially can enter students into A-level exams or GCSE exams yeah. if they're not students at their educational institution. They can enter them as an independent candidate and you just pay for the exams oh. and the admin fees. Um, but you have to really want to do it. So how did you access all of the coursework and study and everything? Uh, I bought the books. Ah. <laughs> I, so there was no coursework. I made sure that I chose subjects that didn't have any coursework. Right. Um, and <laughs> then I bought all of the A-level study books. And I also couldn't go back to education because I needed to pay my bills. Yeah. So I couldn't afford to go to college. So Bloody I was, hell. Yeah, you like, are a this is force. Like before I even had a baby. Um, and this was when you were 21? Yeah, I'd come back from Brazil. I'd been there for nine weeks. I came back from Brazil um, and I went straight back to work, obviously, because I'd left the job that I was in beforehand to go travelling. I went straight back to work and I just said to them, like, I'm trying to get into uni. So when it's quiet, I might like, you might see me reading a book. Is that okay? And I just did that and I just studied really hard. And then I did like 12 exams in three months. Wow. And I got into uni. That's amazing. But that was the first time in four or five years that I'd felt stable and happy in my life because I didn't have to work because I was obviously I had a student loan and I for the first time knew when my rent was going to be paid because it was paid in advance and all of these kind of things and it was a really stable time for me I'd finished traveling and also because of my first pregnancy I wanted to make sure if I ever did have children in the future that I was in a better position obviously being 17 there's a whole host of reasons why you might choose to not continue a pregnancy. Yeah, of course. But for me, I really regretted having that abortion. And so I was like, whenever I have these future hypothetical babies, they're going to have everything that I couldn't provide to those, because it was a twin pregnancy to the twins I was pregnant with. So that made me really thoughtful from a really young age about parenthood and motherhood and what might happen. And so when I had my daughter, I remember thinking to myself, no matter what happens... Would you still want her and would you still love her even if it was just the two of you? Even if the idea of what a family is doesn't come to fruition, will you still be able to maintain a family with her? And I knew deep down that the answer would be yes. And so I had her and eventually I did become a single mum and we've been doing life together ever since and it's been going all right. So take me back to that moment when you, when your relationship broke down, um, and you thought, okay, I'm going to have to do this on my own. Did you kind of feel scared or... Because you, you seem really kind of like, bring it on about life. <laughs> so at that point, were you but feeling... single parenthood was the only thing that I ever feared. Okay. Um, I grew up in a single parent household. And so I knew some of the struggles that come along with that. And it was the only thing that I ever feared in my life. Like there was not much for me to fear as I've just told you about all these things I did by myself so I wasn't scared of much but being responsible for a person and having to make sure they're okay 
and having to make sure that the therapy bill when they're 30 isn't too high because she did a good job. Like, that's a big responsibility. It's a different game, isn't yeah. it, to so just was, sorting yourself out? Yeah, I was, I was petrified. I was petrified and I was really ashamed as well. Um, you were ashamed? Yeah, really ashamed, really embarrassed, but not because of external reasons. Because I come from a community where if you're a single parent, you get on with it, you'll be fine. Yeah. It was my own personal stuff that I'd... Um, been worried about and so I didn't actually talk about being a single parent for six months um I gave myself six months to adjust and six months to I guess deal and reckon with it and accept that like my understanding of family life motherhood parenthood childhood as well because my child's childhood in those moments was also going to change the trajectory of her life was changing before my eyes and you never know what's going to happen so yeah now I'm very confident and secure in it but that's because I took the time to not be um and I understand that subject to change it's always subject to depending on my bank balance it depends how confident I am in my motherhood I'm not gonna lie that is a really big thing for me so yeah it's um Something that I'm confident in now, but I'm also really honest about how I feel about everything as well. So how do you think, how do you think you went, what was that process for you then to go from feeling shame and not telling people about it to now feeling confident? What do you think shifted in that time? Um, I think for me, I felt ashamed because I knew it was, it was, this is it now. So I wasn't willing those feelings away. I was kind of just like, Okay, how do you deal with that? What does that mean to you? I got a therapist as well. Um, I got a therapist because I... Two reasons, I would say. Number one is that most of my peers in motherhood that I had experience of were older than me and felt very similarly to me. And so I was like, clearly this isn't something that just changes overnight. You, you feel a way... And I used to think when I was younger, especially like, I'll grow up and have it together. I'll grow up and figure it out. And then I was friends with women who were like 15, 20 years older than me and felt very similarly to me. And I was like, okay, well, this is, is, I guess, where everybody finds themselves at some point. Yeah. No matter what's going on in their lives, there's always something that makes you feel a bit moved, a bit, um, what's the word? I want to say unhinged, but that's not the word. I mean, it makes you feel unstable. Yeah, Yeah, wobbly. Yeah, it makes your world feel a bit more, I guess, um, like... Like On on shaky ground. Yeah, like the change is coming thick and fast and constant. Yeah. What the fuck am I going to do? And so um, because of that, I went and got a therapist. And and I I said to her, like, I think I'm mad. Like, I think I'm going crazy. Um, But also I wanted and this is the main reason that I got therapist was because I wanted to know that no matter what happens I was always actively trying to take care of my mental health because that was the thing that was going to make or break my household I think anything absolutely anything can be the final straw for somebody literally anything and you don't know what day that's going to come and I think the benefit of having two parents in a household is that usually if there is some level of communication it doesn't even have to be good usually even if it's not in a nice way somebody will be able to see tell pick up conversate about if if the other person or the other parents a bit off and sometimes that could just be them doing too much and them not even realizing it 
But when that secondary person isn't in your household, you have to do that for yourself. But sometimes you don't have time. In my case, I definitely didn't have time. I was worried about just, like, keeping a roof over our head. Yeah. And that wasn't... That's not me being dramatic. That genuinely was my main concern. And so I... You know, and then on top of that, when I did want to get a therapist, the cost of having therapists was something that worried me too. And so I had to think about how I was going to afford it and what sacrifices I would make. But for me, that was the thing that was most important because up until that point, I realised that the majority of my daughter's life, I had been mentally unwell. And I think it's easy to say, oh, you've got PND. Or not easy, but I think it's easy to understand that, okay, you've got PND or you've got a yeah. mental health condition, yeah. which has been brought on by um, a maternal experience. You're in the postnatal stage. It's natural. It's normal. Most people experience some level of this. And it's talked that about a all, lot. Right. And that is all true. Mm. But then to going to recovery or healing from that, some people, you know, might take time away from their baby. Some people might not even necessarily take time away from their baby, but take time for themselves or spend time with friends or go and do family activities. All of those things help, but some people also get therapy. Yeah. And for me, I just thought that that was the best thing for me to do. Also, I didn't trust myself and I needed to because I didn't have a secondary person to kind of validate things for me and check with yeah yeah and so because of that I wanted to talk to somebody who I trusted and I trusted my therapist qualifications <laughs> and that was that was kind of all I needed um and so you know I I had these feelings but in all of that I knew that the number one thing was I was always confident in my motherhood whether or not I was confident in myself I was confident in my love for my child and I was confident in the fact that I wanted to do well. I wanted to be a good mum. And I had to define what that meant for me. And also, I was, like I said, 22, 23. So I was also trying to establish what it felt like to be a young woman, but also understanding that there were parts of my womanhood that I would never know without my motherhood. So what does that look like and yeah. what parts of my identity are just me as a person what parts are me as a parent what parts are interchangeable and if that's okay and if that's not so I had all of those conversations with myself and with my therapist and I think that helped me to be quite confident it's that period of you know your 20s where everyone is almost going through that identity shift where you're trying to work out who am I as a person but for you to be doing all of that you know having experienced what you've experienced just must have been just huge yeah it was mind-blowing it was my it was mind-blowing but I'm also as a person I'm quite matter of fact yeah yeah you seem it (laughs) and so in spite of everything that I've just said for the past over many minutes my my thing was but you chose to have this baby it doesn't matter what happens it doesn't matter how hard it is how tough it is how much you struggle you chose to be her mum like you knew she was coming and whether or not you liked the other option because after my first abortion I said I'd never get another one because of how it made me feel but still that was a choice it was a choice for me to choose to not want to choose that again yeah and so I was just like so get it together like it's hard it's tough it's sad you're lonely but get it together because you chose this you chose for her to be here you chose her life and so I saw it as my responsibility to make sure that i do try my hardest because of that yeah um and whenever things get tough 
I still always say to myself, but you chose this, like, and it's something that I say to myself because I think it's easy for me and for anyone and potentially other people, like, if you're talking to a friend and you're talking about how tough things are or how bad things are going, they'll say to you, yeah, but, you know, it is hard and, you know, it like, this happens to everyone. That's true, but we chose this. This yeah. isn't... This isn't one of those things that just falls into... Babies don't just fall into your lap. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Do you ever hear uh, other parents talking about how hard some aspect of being a parent is? And do you catch yourself kind of rolling your eyes and thinking, you don't know what hard is? Um, yes and no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I necessarily roll my eyes. Yeah, that sounds quite negative. No, 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 but just that whole, I know what you mean, like, you're just a bit like, okay, like, you know, there are worse things happening. I don't compare myself, I don't compare myself because the representation of motherhood in this country and in the media, most of it doesn't look like me. Yeah. (laughs) Most of the people in that don't look like the people in my household. Um, Their setup is so different that I don't even think it's comparable, to be honest with you. I don't, and and so I am just kind of, I'm I'm just a bit like, okay. But I, what, when I do roll my eyes, which Carrie and I spoke about on our podcast, was when people say to me, I'm one step away from becoming a single mum, can't stand him, he doesn't put toilet seat down, the kids are driving me up the wall, he didn't collect this one from this thing. I get it, your man is stressing you out. I'm sorry for you, sis. I'm so sorry. But the conversation around single parenthood... And I will never tell somebody to become a single parent. And the reason why is because you have to understand, like, you are going to uproot everybody. Not just you. Not just your kids. Not just him or her or whoever you've had these kids with. You're going to uproot the person who's going to be your biggest support and answer your phone calls when you're heartbroken three months later when you didn't think you would be. And the person who's going to do the extra school run for you because you can't rely on your ex to do it anymore or because you have to work an extra hour like everybody and that is something that I think needs to be spoken about more I I wouldn't suggest anybody do this unless it is a last resort because it isn't easy and having said that I would also say that for some people this should be the first resort there are some people who will stay in relationships that might not be so healthy or environments, raising their families in environments that might not be so healthy. And 
their reason for staying could be a host of other things. And I don't think it's for anybody else to say whether it's right or wrong, but it should still be a thought on their radar. Um, I know that there are a lot of cultures where, like specifically, I'm part West African and in our culture, being a single parent is not something to be proud of. It's something to be um, kind of looked down upon. Is that? Do you think that's where your feelings of shame came from? No, because I wasn't even raised by that part of my family. <laughs> <laughs> I was raised by the, my liberal part of my family, but... That I definitely think when I was hesitant about having this conversation, conversations like this openly, it's because of that. Um, but you could find yourself in a position that isn't safe, and maybe you should get out. Yeah. And maybe you shouldn't worry about being the one on benefits or being the one who doesn't have another parent at parents' evening because that can be a life and death change. Um, but I also think that. All of those reasons are things, good or bad, are things that are very personal yeah. and very individual. So that's why I wouldn't say that I kind of just scoff at other people's experiences of family because I know what mine is and I know what it was before, I know what it is now. And most people never had a clue as to what I was really experiencing. And so I try and think of other people's situations in the same way um and i guess you never know what those people are experiencing yeah, you behind just closed don't doors. know you just don't know what's going on behind closed doors and when you do find out what's going on behind closed doors sometimes you're like oh my gosh it is nothing like i imagined um and everyone's family system is different everyone's family system kind of works for them um but when people come to me for advice specifically about whether or not they should become single parents. I always say, I can't answer that question. I wouldn't want to answer that question. I really wouldn't because let's say that's the right choice for you. You're still not going to feel like that in like the second month. I don't want to be the person that yeah, told you to. it's a big responsibility, I think. Yeah. And it's not really fair to almost put that on you. Yeah, but having said that, when I meet people who are now here, and they're like, I can't, I just can't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I remember those feelings of utter despair and bleakness. And I'm like, you will get through it and the sunshine will come and it will be great. Because me and my kid together, we just have, we have a good time. We have a good life and she's happy and she's loved. And, you know, I make it work and we do good together. Like for me, single motherhood was, I think, the most fruitful version of motherhood that I've ever experienced. But... I had to come to that understanding by myself and it didn't always look like this. Um, and I, I'm very appreciative of the way that we get to do life together as well because not everybody's is like that. Yeah. So how do you make it work then? Because you said, you mentioned that you went back to uni, but then you left. Yeah, that was one I... of the ways that I made it work. I, I had to sacrifice. Right. Sacrifice, was that was the first thing. Um but you work, you, you do the podcast, you've written, you, you've written a book. Yeah, I've written my book. Tell um, me about that. So my book is um, called The Cold Harbour Women. It's a passion project and it is 50 fictional... No, not 50. I wish it was 50. It's like 25, 23 to 25 fictional women's stories. And it's inspired by where I grew up, which is Brixton. Um, and it is women from different ages, different generations different countries different races different shapes different 
sexual orientations. Basically, it's every type of woman who could have ever ended up on a Brixton street. And Brixton is like a pretty diverse place, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's really, really diverse um, in the true sense of the word. Um, but also, Brixton 10, 15 years ago isn't what it is now it's what it is now so, um, so for, for and anyone, I was born for, here for anyone who's not familiar with Brixton tell us a bit about the change that you've seen so I so I will focus on it in terms of my book because the characters in my books the oldest character is a woman of the Windrush generation which is like 50s and 60s my grandparents are part of the Windrush generation and they are Caribbean so I started there because my, like my own grandparents started there and then the youngest character in the book hasn't been born yet and they're talking about their kind of um expectations of what will be there when they're born and so Brixton is something that's gone through so many changes there was the Windrush generation um there was you know in the 80s there was like more of a political scene that came about after the Brixton riots and then you know there's been different changes throughout the 90s the 2000s and so there was also before Brixton got gentrified it it was seen to be quite dangerous but it's always had a strong sense of community how do you feel about the gentrification of it because you walk down the street and it's I find the gentrification of Brixton sad because I think that the residents who made it the place that I guess the community yeah the community are the reason why bigger companies and corporations wanted to gentrify brixton because of the soul that it had because of the community i guess they saw the potential in it and wanted to expand upon it and what they've done is just take all of the soul out of it yeah um and now it's become really expensive and that's sad it is really family friendly which is good because i have a baby um but it's yeah it's hard it's hard because it's not the place that i grew up in like, me and my child are growing up in the same town, but in different places. Yeah. And we live in the same... It's really weird. That's so weird, isn't it? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I I wrote the book in six months. It's short stories. Um, but I wrote the book in six months, and I wrote it predominantly when my daughter was asleep <laughs> or uh, being looked after by somebody else. And so it was small windows over six months that produced this this creation and so I think to myself that the fact that I was even able to do it and tell the stories that I told I just hope that somebody reads it and is moved by it as well because I think that there are parts of that book that people won't like but I didn't write it from a place of I hope people like it I just hope that they they are moved by it it's true stories well I think that's that's kind of the definition of being a writer is that yeah your goal isn't to write something that is liked by people. Yeah, yeah. You know? I don't. I'm not too fussed about whether or not people like it. I'm fussed about whether or not they're moved by it. Yeah. And if they do like it, that's a bonus, and I would be honoured. But I care more that somebody's moved by my work yeah. than that they like it because even though they're fictional characters, most of their stories are true to some degree. They're true to someone. Yeah. And those stories aren't always nice and you won't always like them, but they need to be told and heard and are very necessary. So you mentioned that you wrote the book whilst your daughter was was asleep most of the time. Is that how you make stuff work? Do you basically just, you know, I mean, the, the, the term juggling is overused, but... I don't feel like I'm juggling, but I do feel like I have two lives. There's night and day. 
And even before she was born, with all the work that I used to do, I used to say to people, like, my day has 24 hours in it. And sometimes I would only be able to see my friends late at night when I'd finished a job or in the middle of the day and, and all these random things. And so now, yeah, there's the daytime, which I have with her. And then there's the nighttime, which I have with me and my work and my friends and, um, you everything know. Everything else is Yeah, life. <laughs> like my relationship, like every, literally everything comes under, I guess, the night. And then, but then it depends on whether or not I can go out. If I have someone watching her, then yes, but that's not always the case. Um, so what kind of support have you had then? Have you, have you had family supporting you? My, my friends and family have been incredible incredible I cannot fault them at all because first of all I have a system which means that I don't get babysitting often and I usually only get babysitting if I need to go to work that's my rule yeah but because of the fact that most of the people in my friendship group especially my close friendship group don't have children they're all on hand to babysit. It is a perk of having a baby young. Nobody yeah. else has one. So, <laughs> you know, they will... And they dote on her and they love her. And um, when I was financially really unstable, when I first became a single parent, they would also, you know, get her like a winter jacket if she needed it. And I'd never ask, but they were more than willing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I would say in terms of support... I don't think I have as much support as a, a lot of other people do, but the support that I have is unwavering and that's been really, really helpful. Do you think that the the uh, version of single motherhood that that is seen still needs to change? Do you think that we're still on a journey in terms of... Absolutely, but I think that it... I think yes, but I think that that is applicable to everything i think the versions of motherhood that we see need to change period um i think there's not enough representation of all different types of parents and mothers and and fathers and family structures as well because yes we have mums and dads but we also have guardians and siblings who raise children and aunts and uncles and friends and foster families and 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 literally child rearing and motherhood and parenthood and and childhood all of those things are literally applicable to so many different types of people in different ways and mean different things so I think yes single motherhood's representation needs to change but I think so does motherhood I think the family structures representation period needs to change because our understanding of diversity within parenthood is all about the nuclear family and the deviation from that and how far do you deviate from that so, so true. like the nuclear family like the that's, ster- that, that's yeah, normal the stereotypical nuclear yeah. family especially so it's usually a representation of like two parents two children and a dog and the parents and the children are white and then you deviate from that racially so you can be a nuclear family but a nuclear family that is of a different race or you can be a nuclear family but you have two parents of the same gender or you can so then and then off of the back of that you can be a nuclear family who's got parents of different abilities but then you can also be okay well we have the two kids but we've only got one parent and and I feel I feel like we use that as kind of like a scale of normalcy and then deviate from that which you can see how that's happened because the majority of people in the UK, that is their reality. Yeah. And so you can understand I why that is seen as normal. I understand that, but equally, 
one quarter of all families, not even all families, one quarter of all households are single parent families. A Seven, quarter? A quarter. That's That's huge. a really, really huge proportion. That is one in four. The same amount of people who suffer with some form of mental health issues after having a child are the same amount of people who end up as single parents. And when you look at it the like that... The conversations are so... So it doesn't matter about the statistics because when you look at the way those two conversations happen, the support around them, the stigma attached to them, you know, it should be normal. On top of that, within that that 25%, 90% of those households are women-led, but 10% of them are led by men. You they're never not, hear about like, that. They're not even... I, I feel like single dads are not even given space. No. And, and they, they exist, you know, and so then... So 10% are 10% single dads. 10% of all single parents are single dads. Wow. 90% of all single parents are single mothers. But that's when we use binary language around gender not everybody's parenthood is binary and that's whether or not you like it that's just a fact yeah. it just is what it is within that i think something that people don't think about when it comes to those statistics as well is we look at households we don't look at family structures so you can have two adults living in a household who are not in a relationship if i lived with another single mum and she had a child too our household would be a two-parent household yeah. but we would be two single parents so i think the measurement, even the measurement of what is a single parent and a coupled parent, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I think in some ways, there's more of a conversation around single parenthood because the household and the parent are the same. Whereas for a two-parent household, the mum is the mum of the house, the dad is the dad of the house, and the household is the household. Whoever runs the household is whose income they're talking about. Whoever runs the household is whose car they're talking about whose job they're going to be talking about. And so they pull all of these statistics about a household where potentially only one person is earning. And they'll say two-parent households earn X amount more than single-parent households, but that woman could have no income. Yeah. And so I think the fa- the whole idea of family structure just needs to change. And I think when that conversation changes, then maybe then it will be a bit more inclusive. Um but until that happens, I think it's really, it's also always going to be a bit of a tough one. And so it needs, people need to be talking about these things. Which is why it's so good that you are. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, final question. What advice would you have to someone who's listening, who is uh, at the start of their single parent journey, either, you know, about to have a baby or uh, got a small baby? What? I know you said that you don't see yourself as being an expert, but... Well, I would say, if, if we're, t- we're talking about single parenthood, we're not talking about them becoming a new parent. No, single. Single, okay. That could, could be any age. Yeah. So, I think... Re- redefine importance to you. What's important? If you've got a teenager, and you think they're going to be affected by it, start to think about... If, if, their, if their well-being is what's really important to you, think about how so I know that for me when I became a single parent I had a lot of concerns and they were just concerns and it wasn't until I thought about how that I started to feel more confident in the structure of my life changing so much so you know if it's a young child and 
their household's about to change. Think about some level of continuity. I know that a lot of single parents, when they have more than one child, they like to keep the children together, even when they're going between both households, because they are each other's continuity. My child's an only child. So what I wanted to do to keep things continuous was whenever she came back home, we had like a wind down period of like two hours and it was like reintegrating her into our household because she'd been in an environment that was different. And so that was for me, her stability and her anchor. And it's like, okay, you come back home. It's Sunday afternoon. We're going to do this thing. And we do this every Sunday. And so, you know, this is now the process for the rest of your week until things change again. And we do it all again. So I think, think of the how and within thinking of the how, remember that part of the how is that it's just not going to work for a bit. In the same way that whatever you've come from wasn't working for a bit, but you had to take a minute to adjust and accept that. It's the same thing when you go through to a whole new space. It's For a bit, it might not work. And you might just have to figure it out and it might just be really tough. And you might just feel really down about the whole thing, but that doesn't mean that it won't change. It's just the present moment yeah so yeah that would be my advice that's so good you're so wise <laughs> thanks god you're more wise than me and you know i've, I've got a few years on you so uh remy thank you so much no for problem. being my guest today it's been brilliant thanks for having me thanks for asking thank you <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I will put links to Remy's writing and to her podcast and to the BBC Women's Hour episode that she mentions in the show notes. And as always, please hop over to iTunes and rate and review and subscribe. I will love you forever and I'll catch up with you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.